Come on, what are you, what are you, what are you talking about? No, no, I'm serious. And so the phone does a very high-pitched squeak. That you can't hear outside your hearing. But if they're having a conversation with someone and asking them, <laughs> when was the Battle of Hastings? When, when, what's the, what, what? It's not like they can say it in a really high-pitched <laughs> tone, is it? It's not like they're a dolphin. <laughs> Smashing Security, Episode 94, Rogue Browser Extensions, Twitter Presence, and How to Cheat in Exams, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, Episode 94. My name is Graham Cluley. I'm Carol Terrio. And we are joined this week by a returning guest, technology journalist, our very own Inspector Gadget. It is David <laughs> McClelland. Hello, David. Hello, GoGo Gadgets, um, something or other. I, don't, I can't quite think what GoGo Gadget Arms. Yes, I'm, I've, I'm surrounded on my desk by a ton of gadgets that I haven't managed to pack away yet because I've just moved house, living in the sticks like your good selves. And uh, yeah, I haven't done all that well with the packing up yet. We, hey, we live in Oxford. That's hardly the sticks, man. It's not like all carts and haystacks here. This is, especially Kroll. Kroll, you're very urban, aren't you? Oh, I am. It's HQ. Yeah, this is it's- the hive. <laughs> Yeah, in the middle. Well, we're pleased that you've got a decent internet connection out there, David. Well, yes, I live on the side of a hill in the middle of a forest with no cell phone connection whatsoever. But I do have fibre broadband, which, uh, touch wood, has been pretty stable so far. Mm, I'm jealous. You're jealous, Carol? Is your internet a bit rubbish? No, no, I'm jealous of having a view of trees and, uh, you know, hills... Greenery. I'll send you a. I'll send you a view. We have Thanks. a most beautiful view <laughs> over. You've over already the valley sent here. me one. You've oh, I have, haven't I? I'm so sorry. Yes, yes. You've already rubbed my face in it. Cool, you've got a view of a multi-story car park, and uh, <laughs> is it a little or something that's near you? Yeah, yeah. This is okay. Yeah. Actually, Onwards. I shouldn't identify your location too much. Like people no. could narrow it down from that. Yeah, very much so. We'll just get rid of this bit. Yeah, we just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But thanks. Yeah. Okay, good, good. Many of us have worked in big companies, right? And we know that it only takes one person to make a boo-boo to allow the hackers in. Imagine running a company, hiring new stuff, and worrying that one of them might bring their bad password habits into the office. Horrendous nightmare. That's one of the reasons why businesses, small and large, need a password management solution like LastPass Enterprise. LastPass brings a vast array of features for enterprise users, including company-wide policies, reporting, user groups and roles, and new support for Microsoft Active Directory. As an administrator, you can create highly secure passwords for your new starters right from the onset. means no snafus. Listeners can check it out for themselves by visiting lastpass.com slash smashing. No more password snafus, no more boo-boos, just LastPass. Well, happy, happy birthday to the Chrome browser 10 this week, 10 years since the Chrome browser came out. It's incredible, isn't it? Mm. I don't know if you guys, do you remember the browsers you were using in the mid-1990s and the late-1990s, things like Netscape and all of those? Definitely Netscape for me. That was the first one that I remember using. But I remember very clearly when Chrome came out. I was living in Holland at the time, 10 years ago, and the the whole concept of having multi-tabbed browsers seemed uh, quite revolutionary (laughs) at the time. I know, it just seems that... I must have maybe a million tabs open at the moment. Uh, And the idea of just not having that, um, it it has changed the way that I use the web, certainly. Uh, Well, just this week, a brand new version of Chrome came out and it included some interesting features, a strong password generator, rounder tabs, and other user interface Rounder tabs? Yes, I know. That's one of their top selling points? You know, people are impressed by bells and whistles like that quite often, aren't they? Just a, a simple change to the canvas or altering some of the icons and people go, ooh, yes, I want that. And sometimes... Sometimes that that is what encourages people to switch, I suppose. Okay, fine. Still lame. But, 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 whatever browser you might be using, chances are you're not just using the pure vanilla browser. You're probably also running third-party extensions and plugins which can boost your browser's capabilities, tweak its behaviour, and maybe give you some other benefits. Yeah, give you loads of gizmos. I've got tons running. Right. I've I've got a few running as well on mine, uh, and I I think it's perfectly normal to do that. You know, you might, for instance, have an ad blocker, 
Exactly. Um, One might. Yeah, hopefully you do. uh, One might have a password manager. And all of these, even if they're security focused, they can actually be a security risk because it's terrifying just how much power a browser extension can have and what it's capable of doing. Oh, no. So an ad blocker, for instance, if you think about it, it has the ability to read and change all of the data on the websites that you visit because it has to be able to tell there's an ad there and then it has to be able to remove it, which means it can technically read everything that you're reading to, right? Mm-hmm. And it needs to do that to, to do its job. So you're putting a lot of trust in your browser extensions not to turn evil. And I'm afraid there is a browser extension for a popular service which did turn evil this week, the extension for mega.nz which is mm. uh, the file sharing service, cloud-based service, uh, founded by that larger-than-life figure, Kim.com, although he's no longer connected with Mega. Jesus, pot kettle. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> you said I'm larger than life, Carol. You certainly are, in oh. so many ways, honey. What? So many ways. <laughs> Charming. Um, well, this week, the official browser extension for Mega was compromised. And there was an automatic update for the extension, which was received on users' desktops, which requested more permissions, including the ability to read and change all the data on the websites that you visit. And in all likelihood, most users would just probably click through and say, yeah, 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 you know, Mm. I use the Mega NZ extension because it helps me download stuff from the service. And people are being inundated with GDPR requests every time they go anywhere. Certainly I am. So I can see how people would just go, yes, accept, go, 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 accept, accept, accept. I know that was the big irony, wasn't it? That all these Mm. companies were told that you have to tell your users what you're doing with data. And we were so bombarded with all these messages that you're just like, whatever, you know, just get rid of it. So you still aren't informed as to what most of these services are actually doing. Technically, you have been. Legally, you have been. Uh, never not actually all, not in all cases. Mm. Some of them are absolutely awful. Anyway. So many people have just accepted this Mega NZ update. And that, of course, was a big mistake because this malicious version of that Chrome extension started to steal information. So it wasn't the bonafide plugin or extension. It was... The bonafide one was replaced by oh. this bogus, malicious one. So it's not as though people downloaded the wrong one and installed it on their device thinking it was the real one. It was pushed out to them. If they were originally using the genuine article, they had now been effectively infected by a bad one. And it was stealing usernames, passwords, cryptocurrency, private keys, and it would activate on sites like Amazon, Google, where you may have your email, for instance, Microsoft, GitHub, Oh, no. And so, potentially, the criminals could not only mess around with your Amazon or read your emails, they could even maybe change your software projects, which you might be working on on GitHub, change your code. And it could also steal private keys for your cryptocurrency. So, when you say potentially, did did it steal stuff? We don't know. It was stealing the credentials and it was stealing the private keys. And what then was done with that information which it's stolen? We don't know. Who knows? So so where did the data end up going to then? Well, the data was being secretly and silently siphoned off to a Ukrainian server. And who knows Uh if that was a proxy for someone else, somewhere else in the world. We simply do not know. But the data has gone. This is a nightmare. Well, it's a real problem if you happen to have this particular extension installed. Yeah. You know, the presumption is that their account was hacked. And whether that mm-hmm. was phishing, or they chose a dumb password, or reused a password, we don't know. And for now, nobody's saying. But the extension was up for some hours, and users who were updated during that time period may have had their credentials and private keys stolen. There could be follow-on impacts from that. And that obviously is not good. The good news is the Firefox version of the extension is not affected. This purely the Chrome extension. In, in fact... I'm expecting a press release any day now. <laughs> <laughs> From the guys at Mozilla yep. saying, there we go, let's see yet another... Well, you know what? There might actually be a basis in fact there because Mega are saying that Google themselves are partly to blame. They are pointing out that the security measures in place on the Firefox plugin or extension area are stronger than those which are in place for the Chrome web store. 
Ooh. And so you even have a quote from a third party now too. For the so yeah. <laughs> exactly, as endorsed by Mega. Um, <laughs> so so yeah, there, you know, potentially there are improvements maybe which Google can make there. So rather than rounding off all those tabs, in right, the, in, exactly. there you are, Carol. You see, you're thank a, you. You're absolutely right. Um, rather you. than rounding the tabs and doing all those Bloody fancy tabs. icons and things like that, changing those, maybe they need to get their house a bit more in order. So some takeaways for everyone here. First one, browser extensions, even the ones that are supposed to be keeping you safe, they've got an enormous amount of power. If an extension goes rogue, everything you do in your browser is now compromised. So Google Chrome itself is a pretty secure browser, and they've got real experts working on the security of it. But you are plugging in code written by third parties who may be rubbish at security, who may not have properly looked after their code or maybe aren't looking after their accounts properly, and you're running that on your computer. So you are increasing your threat surface, as the marketing people like to call it, by increasing the number of extensions you run on your browser. That's not a nice takeaway. That just makes us all feel a bit... All right. Well, yeah, I'm just... Okay, we're going to get to the good stuff in a moment. Now, uh, the other thing is, of course, sometimes you may have a browser extension installed and the ownership of that browser extension may change. The company may change. The developers may change. It may get sold on to someone else. So it may no longer be the same developer who you originally uh, thought was writing the extension, and it may be someone less benevolent. So always be wary when a browser extension asks for increased permissions. So normally your browser will pop up and say, this extension is now asking, you know, to scoop up all the information on every web page you visit. And you can ask yourself, well, you know, do I really want it doing that or not? Is there a justified case for it? And maybe there is with some extensions like ad blockers, but, you know, be careful because other extensions may not need that. And if they suddenly start requesting it, then that suggests that something has changed in their underlying code. Keep the number of extensions you run in your browser to a minimum. And if you're an extension developer, remember that you've got a responsibility to secure your code, secure your account, so that others can't exploit it and maybe spread their attack in such a wide fashion. And just to add to that, I mean, just while you were talking there, Graham, I've um, I've got Chrome been open Googling. right now. <laughs> I, I've been Googling. Well, no, actually, no, I haven't so much. Um, but I opened up to have a look at the extensions that I have installed in my Chrome browser yeah. right here. And do you know what? There are quite a few here that I installed many, many moons ago, yes. maybe two or three at a time to try and do a particular thing, whether it's email the page that I'm on right now to myself or whatever it is. And there's some here that I don't really remember. I certainly haven't used for an awfully long time. And, you know, I I probably wouldn't even realise if some of these had turned rogue until it was too late. So not only be careful about extensions that you install, but every now and then do a little bit of housekeeping and go, actually, bit.ly or Mm. flash control. I haven't used that for months, haven't used it for years. Get rid of them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And, And some of them, you just mentioned, for instance, an extension which emails you a link to the page you're currently looking that just basically says to me, you're a bit lazy, David. And you could be just doing a copy and paste of the URL and bunging it in an email to yourself. I so- was just about to say, isn't it nice that Graham's your little fairy godmother? But now I'm taking it back. A little bit, a little bit harsh there, Clue. I'm all about saving myself a few clicks, Carol. And, you know... If, if it means I'm not having to, you know, open up my mail browser, do a copy and paste, if I can just tap one button and save myself 20 seconds and do that right. 10 times a day, then I'm happy, even if you aren't, Graham. I, I need to apologise for not waving my wand in the direction of David McClelland. Right. Twinkle toes. Twinkle toes. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's much nicer than being called larger than life. Appreciate that, Carol. Okay, David, what's your story for us this week? Well, it's funny you talk about prioritisation there and things that Chrome perhaps should be working on rather than things that it actually is. Um, Hmm. Looking on another platform, uh, news surfaced last week that social network Twitter, who I I think Twitter's investors are surely the only ones who are still chirpy about Donald Trump's ongoing presidency. (laughs) Um, Twitter has been testing some new features, it turns out. And one of these features, I personally think, in one fell swoop, fundamentally changed the entire 
dynamic of the interactions on Twitter and make it even more of a magnet than it already is for unsociable behaviour. So it was a post by, um, I think she's Director of Product Management at Twitter, Sarah Hader, Mm. um, revealed that alongside threaded replies, and replies and threads are already a real mess on Twitter, if you ask me, that Twitter is also testing something called presence. Now, Carol, that's not birthday or Christmas presents, or presents for good (laughs) behaviour. Sorry about that. Instead, it's a little green dot that indicates whether you are online at that moment in time. Now, on the one hand, you could see that this is a fairly minor change that might increase the sense of immediacy of the conversations that take place on there. And it's all going to maybe grow the engagement that I'm sure Twitter's owners and investors want to see on the platform. But I think that subtle change makes a huge difference in a number of ways, in as much as, you know, if you see somebody's online you expect a response from them. It's like a read receipt on an email or iMessage or WhatsApp. Twitter becomes a bit too much of a messaging platform. You know, it's like, well, I know that you saw my at reply. Why didn't you respond to it? I don't want to live my Twitter life like that. I've got enough platforms where that's the case already. Thank you very much. Because we all love those emails, don't we, with read receipts or those ones where people put those secret tracking pixels in. In fact, that's something which some people probably put a a browser extension in place to try and prevent from happening. I certainly do. That is one of the extensions that I (laughs) do have enabled, although that's got access to my complete Gmail inbox. Anyway, that's another story. Um... So I come to Twitter to chill, to take an information, to, you know, get access to <laughs> Twitter and stories. chill. <laughs> Twitter and chill, yes. Oh, we're so middle-aged. I certainly... That's how good it gets. I know. But I certainly don't go to Twitter for a guilt trip. You know, sometimes I don't want to reply to conversations, at least not immediately. I want to do them in my own time. Mm. And a change like this certainly would change that. But also, not everybody on Twitter plays nicely. And it's... it's <laughs> really? It's, yeah. Yeah, really. And uh, there were certainly a lot of objections to this post from Sarah all across the internet. So, for example, if I'm a troll, and I I disagree with the term troll for various reasons, that's another story. But if if, if I'm a troll... I'm quite interested in that. Oh, um, are you, okay. Are you from the Royal Society of Prevention of Cruelty to Trolls or something? He's probably What's... in pantomimes. <laughs> And he probably has to play the troll and doesn't want it to be disdained. Not this year. I do really like the film Trolls, but um, like that, I, I think that's fantastic. Uh, no, um, if we're going there, then trolling for me is a, is a very specific kind of online interaction if you look back at the history of it. And I oh, okay. think trolling is used as a bit of a shorthand for what is often online abuse. Yeah. Um, it's uh, hate speak, it's misogyny, it's sexism, it's racism. And I think if we are going to stamp this stuff out on the internet, then we need to name that stuff what it is and sugarcoating it with the term trolling, which can also mean more provocative, more playful interactions, I think is the wrong thing. That's if weird, it's hate right? speak, it's hate speech and yeah. call it that i'm with yeah. you brother yeah agree with that but i don't i've never thought of the word trolling as a, a sugar coating i think it has a really yucky connotation mm. uh, no I don't, you, i've never heard it in any kind of positive way that i thought oh yeah cool thumbs up on that one yeah i, I mean i i've done various bits of TV and investigations and stuff into trolling, in particular the history of trolling, the history of chat rooms and and the way that certain corners of the internet like to poke fun to try and get reactions from people. And sometimes I think that that is um, calling it healthy is perhaps a little bit too cosy, but sometimes it's not altogether a bad thing. But Um, if my intent is to abuse, if my intent is to harm somebody, to cause them emotional hurt, that isn't trolling in my book. It's hate crime. So... Mm. There we go. Yeah. Graham, okay. be careful. Anyway, there's a lot of that that takes place on Twitter. I think we all agree with that. And if I can see that somebody is online, if I got that little green light that says that that person is online, then maybe I can start targeting them. I can start hounding them or maybe using that information about when they are and aren't online and offline to start build a profile yeah. about them for, I don't know, identity fraud or whatever. And um, uh, I, I did see a tweet. It was from uh, Rob underscore Sheridan and uh, he replied to Jack uh, at Jack Dorsey who's the big boss at Twitter said um, okay everyone Twitter has a serious problem with harassment and abuse please fix it Twitter we're listening and we've decided to make it easier for abusers to know when you're online (laughs) yeah 
So that's a bit of a shame. So I, I guess this is a, a feature of Twitter that's just being tried out. As Sarah, to be fair, did say, uh, will it be turned on by default? Would it be something you have to enable? Graham, I saw also on Twitter that you, ever the consumer champion, you actually <coughs> waded in directly with Sarah on this well, point, didn't you? Yes, I did, because I, I was concerned as well that this might be turned on by default and that we'd have to opt out of it, which is the normal way that social networks work, isn't it? And yep. she replied saying, don't worry, users are going to have full control over the option. And I thought, hang on. And she kept on saying, you'll have yep. full control of it. And I thought, well, what does that actually mean? Does that mean you'll have the full control to turn it off or full control mm-hmm. to turn it on in the first place? And I have to say, I was very pleased because she came back to me and she said, this will be opt-in, which is the now right... leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, stop, stop bugging me, Graham. Stop harassing me online. But yes, she's saying that it's going to be opt-in. So that, I have to say... I, I can't imagine this is a feature that many people will want to be, to be honest, but I'm pleased to hear that it's going to be opt-in rather than opt-out. That's the right way round. I imagine Twitter itself is seeing the success of services like WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger. And maybe Hangouts. It, maybe yeah. it want, yeah, maybe mm-hmm. it wants to get more into this instant messaging kind of game uh, as a way of growing itself. There's obviously the concern that this feature may slowly creep in and may become mm. the default in future. You know what? I like that you used that word because that's what I think this is, creepy. People might find it useful, but I think the creep factor of what does it suggesting and how is it going to change our behavior online and people are already a bit wary it's just asking more of us and tracking us more and as david says there's so much unpleasantness on twitter right now already i I can see this being abused so not in my echo chamber i just have flowers butterflies (laughs) trees Speaking of echo chambers, Graham, I also noticed that you have found a different echo chamber that you're trying to hang out in as well. Tell me about Mastodon. Yeah, Mastodon's quite nice. Do you know what a Mastodon is, Carol? No, I have no idea. I think a Mastodon is some kind of elephant-like creature, like a mammoth or something like that. Anyway, Mastodon is a bit like Star Trek The Next Generation. So everybody likes each other, all the countries around the world. So it's a Twitter alternative. I haven't explained this very well. It's it's <laughs> No, I have so no idea. What Mastodon you're about. is an alternative to Twitter. Oh. Um and it's ad free. And anyone can set up their own little Mastodon pod, which connects to all the other Mastodon pods. And you can post your little statuses. You have up to five hundred characters Ooh. on Mastodon. <laughs> and there are third-party apps which aren't being blocked as to what they can do, whereas a lot of the Twitter apps at the moment are being uh, basically having their ghoulies chopped off by mm. Twitter and prevented from doing things. Are you sneaking your pick of the week in early? No, no, this isn't my pick of the oh. week. But I, I would say to people, you might want to try out Mastodon. It's quite interesting. Um, and certainly it you get the feeling that it's being driven more by privacy concerns. And at the moment, there's no Nazis who appear or to be in it. Or so just uh, social on the shins and, you know, go outside. Well, yeah, a bit of vitamin D in everyone's diet never does any harm, does it? Listen to a podcast while you're, you know, breathing the fresh air. Yes, exactly. Take the podcast. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Crowl. What is your story for us this week? Well, you guys may have seen uh, other parents dancing in the streets as kids head back to school, right? I'm free. Mm -hmm. I'm finally free. So to my memory, the first few weeks of school are pretty much a doddle academically, right? I mean, it's a while before students have to start facing the dreaded tests and examinations. Right. And tests and examinations, some people really excel in those environments. I, I wasn't bad, but others might be well tempted to cheat. Right in these tests? No, oh, piff piff. Surely, no, no one cheats. Did you guys ever cheat? Seriously, time to come clean. Sorry, did you guys ever cheat? A big pardon? in school. So there's a bit of problem with the connection. Okay, I'll ask you. David instead. <laughs> You're only cheating yourself. <laughs> did you never cheat? I don't think so. I mean, we literally had, you know, there were no calculators in our exams. It was pencils and paper and stuff, as I remember. Okay, I cheated, and I'll tell you how I did it. Okay. <laughs> oh I'm yeah. Reveal how I did it. Okay. So I I especially cheated in classes where I'd have to memorize terms and then remember how to spell them, right? Things like I remember one was hemophiliac. I just could never remember exactly how to get it. I knew I'd get it mixed up. And there was another one was metamorphosis. That was another one. And so how I pulled it off was using a sharp H2 pencil, which was very important. I would write the word very tiny 
<laughs> so my teacher probably wouldn't be able to read it, on my eraser, my Stedler eraser. Ah. And then if I felt I was in the danger of getting caught, I would just frantically start erasing. Evidence gone. Oh. Boom, right? Don't try this at home, kids. <laughs> well, they probably don't even use pencils and erasers anymore. <laughs> now, cheating is on the rise. Apparently, people cheating last summer was up 25% over the previous year. And a recent report involving 25,000 students in the States reported that 95% of students said they participated in some form of cheating, be it a test, plagiarism, or copying homework. And the culprit everyone is pointing the finger at is, I'm sure you can guess, technology, right? Mm. So say hello to what some people are calling smart cheating, Smart yep, okay. I know. So it's not just phones, right? So there was a case of smart calculators being hacked to store gluts and gluts of cheat sheets. Smart glasses can be used to send information to a third party, and then the answer arrives by text on your smart watch. I did used to know how to program my calculator to display the word boobies. <laughs> I could do that too. W- that would have been great. useful in biology or something like that, I expect. <laughs> I'm not sure that's the technical term. Okay. Um, now, some kids even use high-frequency ringtones. These are ringtones that are outside the hearing range of an adult. What? And um, <laughs> they actually can answer the phone and get the answers and get some help. What you, no, come on. What, you, what, are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> These are people serious. in an exam hall. Yeah. And so the phone does a very high-pitched squeak. That you but, can't hear outside or, your hearing. Okay, but, 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 but presumably it's not outside my vision to see a student <laughs> pick up their phone and say, yep, okay, so I've got question 14 here. Well, Graham, I don't know if you ever were in university doing a test in a big student hall. I think you do are- know. <laughs> but, you know, I do feel for the teachers. Spotting cheaters is difficult. But if they're having a conversation with someone and asking them, when was the Battle of Hastings? <laughs> when, when, what's the, what, what? Yeah. It's not like they, Maybe can, they... <laughs> it's not like they can say it in a really high-pitched <laughs> tone, is it? Say. It's not like they're a dolphin. <laughs> so, now even you can check out, if you're online, you're probably Googling still, David. If you can go Google photomath.net. It's an app that you basically can put your phone over the actual math problem and it will just show the answer. I'm looking at this now and I'm a gog. Great for math homework. It's not just two and two is four. or No. You know, there, there's some serious equations and, and squiggles that I've not got a clue about, frankly. <laughs> oh, long division. Um, yes. <laughs> That, and there's and there's Logarithms. some there's some yeah. coses and tans and square Ooh. roots and and yeah. all sorts of things and this app it like an augmented reality app or like I guess uh, word lens or whatever it is yeah, and it's yeah. just solving it almost instantly just by putting your phone to the maths book and it's there's crazy. no there's no explanation on this website about trying to pretend that it has a use other than just for cheating doing homework <laughs> yeah so parents when your kids run upstairs and bounce down the stairs five minutes later having finished their math homework. <laughs> just check their phone <laughs> this this I'm, I'm looking at the website as well it's got a little animated video on the front page yeah. i mean it is very impressive this kind of technology but are people allowed to take their phones into examples ah, very good question you fell into my trap oh, right okay because exactly the answer the easy answer seems just ban tech from the testing room but the problem is a lot of tests are now being given online this makes the taking and the marking of the test easier and it makes them more standardized across the board and this is kind of important because students are basically relatively ranked uh, to establish their academic standing or potential for university or post-education or jobs but how do you control the cheating Many schools can't afford to hand out clean lockdown laptops to students for every test, right? No, of course not. And all these tests, of course, that can't, we're not talking air gap computers because these are online tests that require access to internet services. So students are being asked to bring in their own laptops or devices. And here is the crux. How is the school supposed to lock down devices outside their immediate control? Okay, so I've got a great answer for you. Okay. They could install a browser plugin. And the browser plugin would be would be mandatory to do the online test, and that would be monitoring all your other tabs and other processes running on. A, you'd have to give it a lot of power, of course, and you'd have to trust it that it didn't go rogue. But that could maybe we see yeah. this actually in. Uh, sorry to be nerdy for a moment. We see this actually in online chess tournaments because there's a big problem with people cheating in chess. Yeah. If I was a good chess player, mm. I wouldn't be allowed to take my phone with me. 
Mm-hmm, and it would mm-hmm. have to be switched off and no no technology hidden in the toilets. But there's this problem now of online chess tournaments. And what some of the big sites do where you can watch the grandmasters playing each other is they have a webcam on the grandmaster as well, watching their face. And they actually monitor well, their eye movement and they have other ways of oh, determining wow. whether there is dodginess going on. Because, of course, it could be a little sneaky plug-in in the corner, which is processing the online chessboard and working out which the best move is now graham i would like to ask you to get your big bag of popcorn and listen to this because it's not as far-fetched the same things are happening in school all right cool so i have two examples there's a number of examples out there because obviously this is a tech problem right and of course not far behind tech problems there's all sorts of tech responses especially if it's going to make some money so there's a few little options out there but i wanted to share two with you today And I want you to, because you both are daddies, so I want you to kind of think about, hey, if this was my kid with his device or her device, you know, how would I feel about this as a parent? Okay. Okay. Example number one, Microsoft. So under Windows 10, it has an offering called Take a Test. And you have a secure browser. Effectively, they have their own user, which bans you from going to the desktop or accessing any copying and pasting or searching opportunities. You're basically locked into that session. Oh, okay. Kind of like maybe a guest session, you know, a kind of lockdown guest session on a computer. Right. The only problem with that approach is, of course, it only works on Windows 10, right? Now, let me give you another example. This is an online company called Proctor U. This is a Procto. digital... Proctor Pro- U. Doctor Who. Proctor Who. <laughs> Proctor U. <laughs> this, digital dis- this digital service describes itself as the go-to source for online identity and exam integrity. Sounds pretty good, right? <laughs> now, they boast that Proctor U provides secure and live automated online proctoring services for academics and professional organizations. Similar to what you were talking about, Graham. Let me show you how this works. It's remote proctoring. What I mean is there's a person in a remote location sitting and monitoring the student and the surroundings as they do the exam. Now, I was looking around online, found a number of little complaints about proctor use. So I started, I thought, go to their terms and services. That's where they actually have to tell you exactly what's going on. And I'll paraphrase a bit to lose the legalese, but in the show notes, you can read them for yourself. So ProctorU will remotely connect to your computer in order to monitor your computer screens and premises. Proctors will view you and your surroundings via webcam or other means by listening to you or monitoring your computer screen. You agree to maintain audio contact during the entire session. ProctorU may record your entire session and you acknowledge that ProctorU is not responsible for anything that appears on your webcam or desktop. And you consent to all such monitoring until you take the, quote, affirmative action of disconnecting completely from all services, unquote. So it's your responsibility to disconnect from the services and unless and until you disconnect from the services, they can continue to be monitoring and recording you. So I was like, what the heck? This seems a bit bizarre. So I was looking around. Redditor Mr. C. Bax calls it blatantly malware, and he says he refuses it for his class. He wrote a comment saying that he decompiled and deobfuscated the ProctorU software, and his findings, quote, it makes a foreign call to a server and downloads a rootkit for your specific OS. Oh, that's nice. Linux included. It requires you to run Chrome as root. They literally pay people to sit there and stare at you through your webcam while you take the test. So any thoughts on that approach? We have the Microsoft approach, a kind of secure browser session. And then you have this more um, outrageous. Well, it's, it's basically the, the proctor that is sort of asking for backdoor access to your computer, isn't it? I'm, Absolutely. As you've already insinuated, I didn't actually make it to a proper university in my life. Um, okay, we still, we still love you a lot of the time. I've never heard of this word proctoring before, and that has rather oh, really? distracted me. And but I've I've just <laughs> looked it up. And it, no, I, I don't know. Is this an, a North Americanism, or is this just my ignorance? No. Well, I, I, 
Okay, I have to defer to David for the UK, but I certainly have used it my whole life. So this no, is it's not no? something I've come across. Oh, maybe it's an American one then. Yeah. Maybe it is. So this is when you okay. supervise uh, or yeah. invigilate. Which maybe invigilate. invigilate exactly. It's like, like an invig- invigilator. Uh, yes. A test because yeah, I, I must say I, w- I was I had rather more grubby thoughts as to what it could be. Um. <clears throat> you have to remember this. This software has. To, I'm trying to bring you back on point. Good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, the problem is this is your. A daughter or son's computer, their own device, right? And in order to take the exam, you need to install this this software that is installing, you know, it's an XE, you're installing onto your system that has access to basically block services when the session is on. From the security point of view, I mean, it just sends shivers down our spine, doesn't it? It sounds like a recipe for disaster. Yep. It sounds like the kind of thing which is going to have some security hole or vulnerability or will be exploited in some fashion. And then it's the most vulnerable members of society, young people who ultimately are going to find themselves exposed or have their information stolen from them. And in the Proctor Youth terms, they also say, oh, and we will be collecting information about you and sharing it with third-party affiliates. Thank you. Oh. Right? So... You know, I, it feels to me like this isn't a great solution. I mean, ultimately, if people want to cheat, Carole, as you did with your your eraser trick, they're going to cheat, aren't they? Right? Even if they have a lockdown computer, if they're doing it remotely from home or something, they could have another device right next to it, which is helping them mm-hmm. answer the questions. Maybe the solution is to look for unusual behaviour. So, if Well, that's you, what if these you... remote proctors are doing. They're watching your ah, facial no, but... expressions. They're watching what, what's going on around you with people next to you in the game. And they're, you know, and they're making a call and they're locking you out of the system if they feel that you are not abiding by their, their regulations. But what I'm thinking is if you were monitoring in a, in a less techie way the success of pupils during the course of the academic year and you have some sort of projection as to how good they are at long division and all the rest of it, if they suddenly get a 100% score in an exam, then that will may lead you to think, hang on a minute, they've done an awful lot better than we expected, and that maybe will cause deeper investigation as to what may have happened in that particular test. Yeah, we had some scary, scary invigilators. We had one that used to walk around slamming his cane into his hand as he walked around through the aisles, and it's just so you hear this thwack, <laughs> and so you did not cheat like you, you know you could hear it getting closer and further but and another one would throw erasers uh, yeah so see you guys have it easy now kids so easy these days they weren't erasers with words carved into them I the thing is okay i know this is controversial i'd kind of say cheating may not be as bad as all that because it takes some advanced skill to be an excellent cheater <laughs> right what? And, I mean, obviously, I'm pretty top drawer, You're right? pretty advanced at this, And yeah. who knows? It turns out that outright cheaters can now become president of the United States. So, hey. you know, I think, why not? Go for it, right? I'm not sure that's the kind of cheating he was doing, is it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure he got straight A's and earned every one. Hey, Graham. Hey, Carol. I have a question for you about these password manager things you keep talking about. All right, go on then, Shoot. What happens if you forget your master password? What are you going to do about that? Oh, you think you're really clever, don't you? Yeah. You think if you've forgotten your master password, you can't access any of your other passwords anymore. Well, piff, paff, poof, Carole, because if you're running LastPass Enterprise, you can integrate your password manager with Microsoft Active Directory. And that means the same password that your employees are already comfortable with using to log into your system will unlock everything. It will unlock their passwords, it will unlock their work, makes it super easy to bring LastPass into your enterprise. Seriously? And it's still super safe? It's still super safe. Wow, that's kind of cool. It's a great way of getting new employees using passwords safer and more securely. Rock on LastPass, I say. And Carole, if you, or indeed our listeners, want to try it for themselves, all they need to do is go to lastpass.com slash smashing. And welcome back. Can you join us at our favourite time of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. It could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. (laughs) Whatever they like. Doesn't have to be security-related, necessarily. Should not be. Should never be. Well, my pick of the week this week is not security-related. Phew! 
do you remember a few weeks ago I told you about this website which told you about uh, how to find good shows on Netflix and Amazon Prime? Yes, I've used it actually. It's very, very good pick of the week. Well, Mm -hmm. thank you very much. I've been trying it as well. And I found a documentary which came out a couple of years ago called Tower. And it's an unusual documentary about, yeah, yeah, it's about the 1966, it's a bit of a grim subject, I'm sorry about that. It's about the 1966 shooting from the University of Texas's Clock Tower. Now, I love a good documentary, and this is a superb documentary. And what makes it unusual was that the filmmakers had a particular challenge, because they were able to interview people who are still alive, obviously, but there wasn't very much footage of the actual event. So how were they going to do this? And they could have dramatised it in a traditional kind of reconstruction sort of way. but they, they <laughs> With really bad actors and bad You know what the kind of, you know, sort of, yeah, forensic files style. Um, but they, they didn't do that. Instead, what they did was they filmed actors, but they then later animated them with rotoscoping. So much of the document... Rotoscoping? Yeah, that's when, um, I think they did it in that... Uh, Lord of the Rings cartoon movie, which came out in the late 70s or early 80s. Um, that may have been one of the first cases where they, they actually record you. So they, got, they know how you move and how you talk and all the rest of it. But they sort of okay. they get their tracing paper out, Carol, and they sort of draw your outline. And you end up with something which is moving in a human kind of way, but is actually an animation. So okay. that's what they did with this. And they have young actors who are reenacting what happened and they're speaking straight to camera, but they're animated. And they're saying the words of the interviewees who were obviously interviewed 50 years later for the movie. And <laughs> it gives a real immediacy to their memories because it's like they're, they're talking about it, uh, uh, when they were young and when it actually happened. Mm. And there is a particularly moving part of the documentary which still sends chills down my spine thinking about it. You're watching. Don't tell us. No, I want Are to. You're tell oh, us? Yeah, I'm going to. You're watching an animated young woman describing her experience, and suddenly the film cuts to a real life filmed interview with the actual victim as she is today, 50 years older, continuing the sentence. And you're suddenly sort of brought. It's giving me chills right now. <laughs> it just becomes so real. It's a hard thing to describe. It's more something you have to it see. It is I something guess. you have to see. And I don't think I've given away much um, by telling you that, but I would really recommend it. It is superbly done. So it's called Tower. It's on Netflix. Very interesting and very touching. Cool. So that wasn't very cheery, was it? <laughs> but that is, <laughs> but that is, that was, uh, I have to say, one of the best documentaries I've seen for a while. So I'd recommend it. David. What is your pick of the week? My pick of the week is definitely not security related. Good, David. It is an app. Now, I don't know if it's only in our family, but it would appear as though my wife and I have often infuriatingly different perceptions of colour. So, for example, (laughs) yeah, okay, go with me here. So, for example, she might say something like, uh, darling, could you grab my blue coat from the hallway? And I will get her distinctly blue coat from said hallway. And upon handing over said distinctly blue coat, I will get berated for picking up her obviously green coats. Obviously green. Obviously green. That particular shade of green known as obviously green. (laughs) I was thinking because you've just moved house, right? So I was thinking that you would having the fights over the pink colours. Oh, no, we have had that, yes. Um, Uh, Curtains, actually. And and this was a particular conversation that we had in bed looking at the new curtains. And I was saying, (laughs) oh, you know, the the curtains, they they go nicely. The green on the curtain goes nicely with the green on the bedsheets. It's not green, David! Were you there? This is weird. (laughs) So I swore blind that this colour on our curtains was in fact green. Yes, okay, see what I did there. Um, I swore that it was green. She said, no, it's not. So I said, right, there has to be an app for this. Now, what I would say is that I know that, you know, generations of genetics mean that men are more prone to colour blindness, but I don't I don't think that that's what it is because I don't have this problem with anyone else and you know no, it's do... just that we're dimmocks, isn't it's... it? It's just that we're... perhaps perhaps <laughs> that's it. 
So what? I'm staying out of it. So what I found was an app called Clone Live Color Picker, and it's a really right. simple app for iPhone. I think it's on Android as well, and it's certainly helped to douse one or two arguments in our house already. At its most basic, use your phone's camera or a picture that you've taken on your camera roll or something that you screen grab from a website or whatever, and it tells you the color that you point or tap to, and it'll give you that in <laughs> RGB or CMYK hex hue saturation brightness and it'll even tell you the closest official pantone colors that's what you want exactly that's what you want. and it's you don't care about, yeah. yeah you don't want to argue well, yeah, yeah. And, want, and it's you want the word oh no and, and some of the words are amazing as well um you can change the color temperature if you're not sure your camera's quite got it right and it'll even suggest some complementary colors that fit into the same palette and it's got a color blind mode so it just highlights the basic <laughs> color so it'll tell you if it's red green or blue oh. in the light in the live view mode yeah it's really really good it's also really well designed as you would expect an rt app to be and yep. believe it or not it's actually quite addictive you know once you start pointing it at things around your house and you see some of the weird and wonderful color names that these things have like blaze and epic and swirl you're like what on so okay do you have the phone with you now do you have this app right I, now near you by? i do indeed let me okay. open it up could you i'm trying to think of something so could you do the back of your hand oh i just want to see yeah let's see okay i'm doing this right now or whatever um yeah okay I'm getting, uh, depending on which bit of my hand I'm looking at, I'm getting Santa Fe, spicy, <laughs> spicy mix, Ooh. and oh, this one's a little bit less uh, salubrious, uh, wax flower. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I've always thought David. About David, you. I've got a good one for you to try out. Do you okay. remember the dress? From a few oh, years yes, ago, of course. So you got the black. It was a dress, and people were arguing as to whether it was black and blue yeah. stripes or white and gold stripes. So if you go and check out, we can settle I've this argument here. right now. Okay, is I'm, it black I'm, and blue or white and gold? I'm going in right now. So here's the original dress that I'm looking at on Wikipedia, and I'm pointing my phone at it now. And drum roll. <laughs> oh gosh, it. It changes. So rock. What? Rock. No. I'm getting rock blue. <laughs> and then I move down here and I get light slate grey. So rock blue and light slate grey are the two Ooh. kind of main colours on that dress. But there's no white or goldish sort of colour there. Maybe we've... Anyway, do you know what? It's it's a really good, interesting sort of browsing kind of app. It's not going to change your life unless you have lots of arguments with your wife. Uh, and I should say... It will that, change my life, trust me. Yeah. This is quite useful. <laughs> the Pantone colour for my wife's coat definitely reads a shade of blue, but apparently <laughs> me and the app are both still wrong. So, Boom. You know. was, Boom! Was the app written by a man? You see, that's what you have to oh, ask yourself. Well. Was it a man who can't really tell colours? <laughs> I can't remember. Was Pantone sorted out by the colours, but by, by men who may have colour blindness? I don't know. So, Crow, what's your pick of the week? Well, okay, controversial. I'm breaking a few rules here. Oh, security related. Um, this is a gizmo. No, it's not security related. It is a gizmo, one that I do not own or haven't even played with. Controversial. So, you're recommending something that you have no experience well, of? I'm strongly incentivized to learn more about it, and I think it's worth recommending to you at this stage, darling listener and hosts, that you do the same, okay? All right. So hold your breath, and you let me know at the end. So this is an, an innovative startup company called Altered. These guys make taps or faucets. My grandmother always used to hate that word, faucet, and I, I hate it too. I don't I have no idea why. <laughs> now, Altered... They make taps and they call them nozzle. And it's a patented technique to develop affordable water saving for people. It reduces water use by over 90%. 9-0. How do they do How this? How do they do that? Well, I'm quoting founder Kaj Mikosh, who explained a Nordic business insider. An ordinary tap loses 10 to 12 liters of water per running minute. Okay, that's a lot of water. Only a small part of that touches your hands or rinses off the plate. Now, he says, my idea was to atomize the water so that every drop gets its own surface. At the same time, increase speed. You get a bigger effect out of every single drop. 
pretty cool, mm. right? So this saves an average, you did a few tests in the States, right? Saves an average of 50,000 liters of water a year per household. That's a serious saving. Yeah, but I, and I get that if you're washing your hands or, yes. or doing something like that. But what if I just want a glass of water? Yeah, my wife drinks a lot of tea every day. How how is this going to help fill in the kettle? This is a not. This is not. This is the kind of nozzle that fits over your tap, mm-hmm. right? And it's cheap. You can get it for like around thirty euros or maybe fifty bucks. And companies like IKEA have adopted the tech to create their own tap offering using the same technology. So. It's worth a gander, don't you think, boys? 90% of water. You're going to so, yeah, water one? I've looked into it, yeah, because I've done research for this episode, and I am getting one. So uh, I'll let you know in a few weeks how I how Are you on down. some kind of commission or something? What's the- <laughs> no, no. I haven't even I haven't talked to them. Never talked to anyone at the company before. Okay, so it's going to pay It's going to create some sort of spray, so it's like droplets rather than... Oh, why well, don't... Here, should I send you a video? Is that what I need to do? Yeah, send me a video. There you go. Okay, let's let's and check it out. There's a few vids on there. Ah, they've got. They do have a dual flow option here as well. I see. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this fixes my uh, filling a glass of water or a uh, saucepan problem. Ah, you, yeah, do, they, you just twist it around. Give it a little yes. twiddle. Yep. Give it a twiddle. Yes, it's like a. It's kind of cool. Sort of spray when you're washing your hands and then atomization. You... Very cool, Krill. I think uh, a nice saving of over ninety percent of water would be a good thing for all of us to think about. So there you go. Save money, be responsible. Boom. Boom. <laughs> well, that just about wraps it up for this week's episode of Smashing Security. David, thank you for joining us. If people want to follow you online or find out what you're up to, what is the best way to do that? Well, probably on Twitter. I can't guarantee that I'm going to be online all that much, but uh, <laughs> at David Muckcleland, all the C's, all the L's with a couple of vowels chucked in for good measure. <laughs> and on Twitter, you can follow <laughs> us as well at Smash in security, no G. Twitter wouldn't allow us to have a G. We've got an online store. Remember our revamped store? There's all kinds of goodies up there. And you can get T-shirts and mugs and stickers and goodies like that at smashingsecurity.com slash store. And if you like the show, what should people do, Carol? They should definitely give us a review, listen to old episodes, send us story ideas, give us five stars. The whole caboodle. Mm-hmm. Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.